When it comes to the vision, so when I was building the app, uh, you know, you think about it and you kind of dream, what is the final form of this thing? Uh, you know, it's, if you get everything right, and some days I would just go in my car and juggle around because, you know, you get ideas. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if this app, you drive around and this app will show you, oh, here's all the people in this town. They're in Bitcoin or nearby. And then you, you got another tab and you see all the meetups. And then you click another tab and you saw all the merchants. And as you drive around, it would just refresh and it would show you everything that's nearby automatically. So that's the final vision of the of Orange Fill Up. This is the Freedom Footprint Show, a Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke DeWolf. And we love to expand our freedom footprint. We hope you do too. The best way to do that is, of course, to try to emit as much freedom dioxide as possible. The best tool we have for doing that is, of course, Bitcoin. Before we dive into today's show, we'd just like to tell you a little bit about how you can support us. First, to support us directly with Bitcoin, visit our Geyser page at geyser.fund slash project slash freedom. Or you can send us stats directly to freedom at geyser.fund. And for the month of February, Geyser is matching all contributions up to a total of 500,000 sats. This is the best time to support the show and get literally double value for your sats. You can also support us as you listen by listening to the podcast on Fountain. The app is available on Apple and Android, and you can stream sats or send a boost. It's the easiest way to support the show just by listening normally. And if you don't care too much about Luke, you can always visit knutsvanom.com, where you can buy my fabulous wine, my books, and a t-shirt or two. And if you don't feel like supporting your fellow Bitcoiners at all, at least like, subscribe, and brush your teeth. But seriously, that stuff actually helps. It would be great if you could subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the videos, send us a comment or leave us a review if you're listening on Apple or Spotify or something like that. All this stuff really helps the show, seriously. So yeah, we'd appreciate that if you can do that. Click the damn bell. So thanks for tuning into the show and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show. And we're here today with our good friend, Matteo Pellegrini, founder and CEO of Orange Pill App. He's been on once before. Definitely check that out to get his whole backstory and Bitcoin origin story and all that. But today, since it's been a while, we'd like to recap the origins and vision of Orange Pill app. And so, and they have a big feature rollout that we're excited to talk about. So, Matteo, welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show. Thank you very much, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, good to see you, Matteo. We see each other uh, about once a month, uh, usually, because I'm an advisor for Orange Pill app. And we always have fun on those in those meetings. It's uh, me and uh, Ben Sessions, Natalie Brunel, Daniel Prince, Nico Lamanen, and who, who else is there? Well, Brian, Brian the Mint, Brian the Mint, yeah. of course. Uh, and we we have loads of fun in those meetings and brainstorm. I I really appreciate those because they're so different from what I'm used to in fiat land as far as meetings go. Uh, this is way more fun. So, so what is the, the, you recently released this merchants feature on Orange Pill app. Can you tell us a bit okay, about I'm that? Okay, I'm pausing us. I'm pausing us. Can you, you skip right over the thing again. Come on. No, no, no. I was thinking doing the merchants thing first and then the other thing, but okay. Okay. How do you want it then, Luke? Well, just start with the Orange Pill app okay. and stuff. You get to All see right. behind the curtain material since we're, <laughs> oh, since okay. we're you know. <laughs> okay. I'll start from somewhere. So, so <laughs> All right, so uh, uh, Matteo, can you tell us about the uh, uh, the vision for Orange Pill app 
the origins behind the app, how, how the idea came to be, and um, where are you going with it in the future? Yeah, sure. So I'll tell you the story of how I got the idea. June 2021, I went to uh, Bitcoin Miami, which was great. I got COVID almost up in the hospital. But besides that, it was a lot of fun. And I went to this conference like 10, 20,000 people. It was crazy. And I, and I was trying to make friends, but I, you know, it was not very easy to make friends. I was like, wow, all this Bitcoin is in the same place. And it's basically a networking event. And I loved that. I ended up meeting some people and then having dinner together. Anyway, it was great. Then I come back to LA, uh, recovered from COVID. And then I was like, well, I want to meet more Bitcoiners. And it was like, where do I find them? You know, so I, I'm on Twitter all the time. Back then, I mean, even now, I'm on Twitter all the time. And, uh, you know, Twitter is very difficult to know who's nearby. So I ended up going to a meetup, maybe in October of 2021. And, you know, you drive an hour because in LA, everything is one hour away driving. I drove to this meetup in a brewery, beautiful place. And there was like 10 of us. And I, I kid you now, like maybe three or four were not in Bitcoin at all. This is 2021. So everybody's, there's an NFT craze. Ethereum is going to flip Bitcoin. Then I'm like, oh, okay. So I drove an hour to basically talk to Bitcoiners. And, you know, it was okay. There was some Bitcoin. It was great, but it's a little awkward because you don't know them. You know, it's like, hey, do you have a Twitter? What's the Twitter? Anyway, so on the way back home, I'm looking at all the building that I, I, I was living in Santa Monica. I was looking at all the building in Santa Monica. I was like, there's got to be more Bitcoins around here. It's like, I actually went on Google and said, how many people live in Santa Monica? It's like 400,000. And so if you have even 1%, it's like 4,000. I say, how do I find these Bitcoiners without me going to a meetup one hour away with after they're not any Bitcoin? So I got this idea in my head that was like ruminating. And then beginning of 2022, one of my friends called me and said, hey, I want to talk to you. I have an idea. He knows I have a background in technology. And so, I, so he tells me he's building a dating app for people that are very active. So let's say you're a surfer, you want to date somebody that's also a surfer because then you already have something in contact. Like, okay, that's great. So as he was telling me this vision of his app, I was like, that's how you do it. You know, dating apps already solved that problem of how do you find people nearby that have some interest in common? Obviously, you know, if you're a man, you want to meet a woman or a man or whatever it is. And that's how I finally... And that's how the, the, the inspiration for Orange Pill App came from, which is like you use a mobile device with the approximate location, and then you filter the people that get inside the app, which is why we have the paywall. You know, you have to filter aggressively because I had this kind of trauma of going to the meetup. And, you know, 40% was not even so I definitely don't want to replicate that. And so then, you know, I came out with the paywall idea, which obviously was, I think the paywall is like 50% of why Orange Flap is as successful as it is, is the paywall. Because it does the filtering for me, number one. And number two, I actually attract certain kind of people. The people that, the people 
And I think now I was reflecting the other day of this, because obviously there's never been a social network, as far as I know, and I think I will know by now. There's never been a social network that started with the paywall, no free trial, no free, like everybody pays to get in, no exception whatsoever. And obviously, you know, it's, it's going parabolic almost. And I was, and I'm, and I'm thinking like, the reason why big corners like this model, I think it's two reasons. One, because we are very well aware of what is the difference between the signal and the noise. Because in, in crypto, it's a lot of noise. Ethereum, Solana, NFT, ICO. So we are like bombarded by noise every single day, whether it's on Twitter or in, in mainstream media. There's a lot of noise around Bitcoin and, and Bitcoin is cryptocurrency. And, and so there is a desire of Bitcoiners to just like, let me pay to find the signal, which obviously in fiat world, I don't think this model would ever work. And then there's also the, um, the benefit of once I get in, I know you're one of us because I know you paid three dollars or hundred dollars to get the lifetime. And there's an extra level of connection. Like I know you're in Bitcoin because otherwise you wouldn't be here. And I know you're, um, not just in Bitcoin, but you are so much in Bitcoin that you're willing to pay to be on an app that is obscure. And so that creates, that unlocks all kind of, uh, opportunities and use cases. You know, you probably told you this note. Uh, there was an NBA guy in the app, which ended up being an investor and he would fly out to all over the country to play basketball. And the moment he lands, take the app. She was nearby, invite them to the game for free, three tickets, course side, NBA, after the game, it would spend like an hour with them to talk about Bitcoin, take pictures along the court. And it's like, so I talked to the guys like, you know, people think it's a scam because whoever got invited by an NBA player to an NBA game for free, like, you know, and then it was like, yes, you know, I, I, I know some people have told me like, is this true or not? Anyway, and then he told me, look, I have hundreds of thousands of followers. The guy won a championship with LeBron. I have 100,000 followers on Twitter and Instagram. Say, if I post who wants a free ticket for this game, I don't know who's coming. I don't know if people are even nearby. So through this technology and through the, the filter on the payroll, it was able to get people. And then, you know, you pay three dollars. The next thing you know, you're hanging out with an NBA player. And so, so the payroll, yeah, the payroll is definitely. Uh, at least 50% of the success of Orange Pilab, if no more. But that's, yeah, that's the origin story of Orange Pilab. Now, when it comes to the vision, so when I was building the app, uh, you know, you think about it and you kind of dream, what is the final form of this thing? Uh, you know, it's, if you get everything right, and some days I would just go in my car and jog around because, you know, you get ideas. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if this app you drive around and this app will show you, oh, here's all the people in this town. They're in Bitcoin or nearby. And then you, you got another tab and you see all the meetups. And then you click another tab and you saw all the merchants. And as you drive around, it would just refresh and it would show you everything that's nearby automatically. So that's the final vision of the, of Orange Fill app. And now we just launched merchant, uh, three days ago. Uh, which, you know, it's, it's a big deal because 
it's it's even harder to find merchants than Bitcoiners. Um, and I've been looking now online, like, you know, where can I find merchants to tell them about Orange Pilat have this feature? It's like, I was on a website the other night. It's called BitPay and it's beautiful website and it's corporate. You can tell they spend a lot of money and they have a list of all the merchants that accept because of what this is great. Now I'm going to contact them and let them know they can also get an account. And I kid you not, I contacted three of them. I found their Twitter account, send them a message. Hey guys, do you accept Bitcoin? Three out of three? No, we don't accept Bitcoin. And I'm like, okay, just so you know, you're on a website that says you do, blah, 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 blah. And again, we go back to the paywall, the filtering. It's, it's, if it's something is free, you get the noise. And so, but so merchants are live, you know, um, we just launched three days ago. We have 41 now. Funny enough, this is a very funny thing. So I live in North California in a town of 10,000 people. And next to me, there's a town that's 150,000 people. So it's not that big, but it's the biggest town in the area. Now, of all the foreign merchants that sign up all over the world, we have one in Bulgaria, one in Dubai, one in Australia. Two of them are in the town next to me, which is like, that's not impossible. And you would never have known without the, the feature. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah, there's no way. Yeah, there's no way I would find them. So that's, that's kind of the Orange Flap origin story, the vision where we're going. I mean, really what we, what we're gonna, what we're trying to do here is to create as many offline, in-person connection between Bitcoiners as possible, which in my view are way more powerful than an online connection. And also they're obviously way more censorship resistant than online connection, right? The government can come and shut down Twitter, your email accounts, anything. Uh, but if I know there's a guy in the next town that I can buy gas, or if I know there's a butcher here and the grocery store here, and we're going to get CDBC, maybe we don't, maybe we will. I can just go and, you know, pay in Bitcoin. I, there's now a way to step out of the system completely, like outside of fiat. Completely. You, you can get put in Bitcoin and now you can spend Bitcoin. So you never need to touch fiat. So speaking of CBDCs, like what's the risk here for the merchants? Like imagine the CBDC salesman, some, some authority using Orange Pill app to go and find all these merchants and shut them down and point a gun in, the, in their face. Like, well, um, so we don't, you know, obviously, you know, we don't verify, we don't do KYC. There's no, we don't do KYC. You can be anonymous as you like. The merchants, they tell us they accept Bitcoin. Obviously, you know, they pay to be on the app. So, uh, they most likely accept Bitcoin. Um, I think the government has many, many, at least in the United States. I don't know. In, in the United States, the government has many, many ways to find out who does what. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys watch the, the documentary Citizen Four, uh, Snowden, and I say it's yeah, it, you should probably watch that show. There are many, many ways that the government can figure out what exactly you're doing if you're online, and that's again, that's one of the reasons why we want to create offline connections. Because even if even if the ones here that, so for example, again, I live in this ten thousand people village basically, and I when I moved two years ago, I don't know anybody. I found this friend for Orange Pilot, right? 
And now I have his phone number. I met his family, met his friends. We're friends. It's actually the only friend I have here because I work too much. I never go out. But now I have this connection with this guy. So I don't, if Orange Club gets shut down for whatever reason, let's say, I have this connection. So now I am anti-fragile. Exactly. I, I've experienced that recently down here. Like I have a friend there in a neighboring town here about an hour away. And we we met in Amsterdam and we connect via Orange Pill app all the time down here. And oh, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Go and have lunches and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's about creating these connections. Yeah, it's about the real world connections. And, and like, yeah, uh, it's, it's sort of a redundant question because the, this this problem as you say it will it it will happen anywhere anyway like uh bitcoiners sort of need to be more vocal and more people need to see that we're not trying to be criminal here we're just trying to say fuck the banks fuck the state they're the criminals <laughs> and it's, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow for for many but it but it works and it works better than the other system so let's just hope that they don't come with, you know, horses and boots and batons and stuff. Yeah. So the, another thing, but you make a good point. So actually, I've thought about this a lot uh, because, you know, you, we had a problem with Google and Orange and a trademark. A ridiculous problem. Yeah. The, the intellectual property laws are so fucked. Like there is no intellectual property. Well, there is one. But all the others are just bullshit. So, and basically, we were removed from the Google Play Store in the United States only, thank God, for like two months. And I, you know, I've, I literally will forget where I'm going when I'm dry because I was thinking, how do I fix it? Anyway, so eventually I figured out a way. We're back on the Google Play Store. But I was thinking, like, you know, obviously Google and Apple can shut me down anytime, you know, they can shut down any app they want, Twitter if they want to, you know. And so we're building the web app. We're building a web app, which is going to be a website, which it's very hard to shut down a website. Um, and so we're going to have a, a parallel way to use Orange Flap, even if we get to a place where, for whatever reason, Apple shut down every single Bitcoin app and Google shut down, which I don't think it's going to happen. Especially in the United States, I mean, you know, we have very strong, uh, you know, uh, property rights law. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, they are probably private private companies. They can kind of do whatever they want. Um, so we're building a web app just to give us all the possible uh, optionality. I'm looking forward to the web app a lot because, like, that's. Uh... That's really convenient. I love when when you have the option to do computer or phone, like right. You know, yeah, yeah. have to stick to it one. Just, and I just need more developers and more time. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I'd like to unpack some of the first stuff we went into uh, because, like, I there, there's so much to talk about here. Like uh, you said, uh, finding you talked about finding the signal in the noise, and the the latest thought I have about that is that. Bitcoin is, is not the signal, but it's the greatest tool for noise removal ever invented. So like that's if you think about it on a on a real philosophical plane, like that's that's what Bitcoin does. It removes noise. It removes the third party from the transaction. It allows for people to 
to interact di- directly with one another in ways that simply weren't possible before Bitcoin and across borders um, with whomever, wherever, whenever. There are and no borders. No, exactly. And uh, <laughs> there's no concept of borders on the blockchain. There's no such thing as a border. No, exactly. And and there's no Satoshi either. But we'll we'll, we'll get to that later. That is, yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is. I actually found out because of your interview with Giacomo. Uh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually sent. It's funny because I was talking to uh, a guy on Orange Club that was Bitcoin slash uh, Ordinals. I'm like, do you even? And I was like, it was trying to convince me about ordinals. Like, man, uh, you can't. Satoshi doesn't even exist. That the the SAS don't even exist. I said, what do you mean? That's not true. I said, look, go listen to this podcast. I send your video to more than one person with uh, Giacomo. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, the way I see, and I've been thinking a lot about that, and like how to frame that, and how to like warn people about these uh, stupid jpegs uh in a, a, an efficient way and like a beautiful way to to say it and the way i see it uh, the satoshi like the satoshi does not exist all that uh, exists is uh, utxo like unspent transaction outputs right and uh, <laughs> so the satoshi is not data uh, it's not even information it's something else. It, it only exists in our minds because all it is 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 keeping a secret, and that th- keeping the secret is the thing that allows you to change the state of the network or of the time chain, uh, and you get to change it to a certain extent, and the extent to which you get to change it is the amount of satoshis you have, but all of that is in your in your head. And it's nowhere else. And I, I find that insanely fascinating. Somebody made an um, somebody made an analogy. It's like a Satoshi is like a meter. It's just a unit of measure, but it doesn't really exist. No, exactly. You can't buy a meter. <laughs> you, you can buy a foot. It's a convention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can buy a you can buy a full long sandwich, but uh, uh, yeah. it's just a convention. <laughs> amongst human that this long is one meter doesn't mean it exists in nature no exactly it's the same idea of sats here our friend dominic frisbee would uh, start debating us on on the metric system <laughs> yeah, that's right. but I do, yeah you're 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 from italy so let's not get into that <laughs> i am from italy as you can tell <laughs> yeah, speaking of the Satoshi and the thing, we had a, a, a conversation about, and I saw a tweet of yours about how Satoshi should have uh, named the network one thing and the asset another. So can you, can you explain your, your thinking around that? Right. So I was thinking about, so I, I, I'll be honest with you, around Christmas time or December, I just got into this mining thing this high seas environment problems the ordinals i'm not a miner i've never even seen an asic in my life um so i never really look into you know how does how does mining work and uh, fcs and uh, block rewards and all that kind of stuff so but anyway so i see the free spiking and i start thinking about well we have a problem here that if fees get too high no here's what happens so somebody okay here's here's the story a woman on, on Orange Full App 
approached me and said, look, we want to onboard students in this high school. And we want to give them um, a hardware wallet, gold card or something cheap with $50 of Bitcoin on it. And I was like, wait a second, you're going to give them nothing. Because at that point, like a, a transaction was like $30, right? It was like the top of the field. Like, and I had to explain, look, if you give $50 of Bitcoin, these people might never be able to actually use this, spend it or move it, do nothing with it, right? So well, what did you mean? So I explained the point of fees. And so then I started thinking, okay, fees are actually, so there is two things in Bitcoin, which unfortunately they're called Bitcoin. But you have the network and you have the asset. And you need both together, but they're separate and they're separate properties. So the network, the property, so we, we say Bitcoin is decentralized, censorship resistant, divisible, portable, durable, etc. In reality, you have those properties are actually not. Um, so the network has only three properties, two properties have the the censorship resistance is not on the asset. Meaning, again, if I give you 10,000 sats of Bitcoin and you can't move it, how is, there's no censorship resistance there. It's like, it's like if I give you a, like if I give you, um, if I tell you, Hey, there is a, there is a nugget of gold at the end of the ocean, but it's yours and it's censorship resistance. You can, it's, it's, it's a better asset, but go get it. You can't, right? So, so, you, so are you, just to be clear here, are you, this is about still about the fees. So you're calling the fees a form of censorship in a way. No, 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 no. I'm just looking for now. I'm talking about the property of the network. Okay. The censorship resistance is provided by the network, which is the nodes and the miners. It is not the asset itself. Like I can give you the, forget about fees for now, right? So for, if I give you Bitcoin and you lose your key, you can't move it anymore. So there's nothing to do with the fees. But, but the Bitcoin is still divisible, it's still portable, and it's still durable. That Bitcoin is going to be there forever, even if you don't have the key. So it's still, you still have those properties. But it, unless you can access the network, you will not be able to use the network properties, which are censorship resistant and decentralization. These are network, these are properties of the network. Now, and then you have property of the asset itself, which is divisible, uh, portable, fungible, uh, you know, all the money properties that, you know, we all. Now, these two things, in order to interact with each other, the mechanism is the fees. So you have the asset and you want to send it from me to note. I have to pay the fees. So I can access the network and, and, and benefit from the network properties, which are decentralization. It's not really a benefit decentralization because nobody really cares about decentralization per se is that decentralization enable censorship resistance. But decentralization is not even a problem. It's not even a property. No, it's a, it's a means to a greater end. An unfortunate, unfortunate means to a greater end. Right. Exactly. And so now, and this, I think, is the reason why people, some people think, because we say uh, Bitcoin is for animals, 
So that's where I got into this uh, thinking about what does that actually mean, becomes for enemies. And then I figured, okay, the asset is for enemies, meaning you can, you can be the most horrible person on earth. Nobody should be able to uh, stop you from using Bitcoin, the asset, meaning you want to send Bitcoin from North Korea to Iran to build a nuclear bomb, whatever. Okay, you, you, sh you should be able to uh, move the asset as you please. The network is, is not for enemies. In fact, if you think the network is for enemies, you're going to lose everything else. As we are seeing now with the, you know, with the fees. Uh, and so now once we understand that there's the network and the asset and the distinct properties and you need one to access the other and the other to access the other and the mechanism to access these two uh, elements is the fees. Now we can talk about the fees are in a way, uh, yeah, definitely a way to censor the, to censor the Bitcoin. You know, um, if I'm a state actor, like for example, the United States have 200,000 Bitcoin today. Forget about the ETFs, which, you know, technically, you know, you can, you can count them as government property, right? So you, you can just imagine if the net, the US could say, okay, from now on, these 200,000 Bitcoin, we're going to make sure every single block is full and we're going to pay the possible highest fees. So that Knut and, and Luke and Matteo and all the people that have maybe one or two or three, whatever, it's impossible for us to use the network. And there is this, and you can say, wow, but you have Lightning Network. Okay, but how do you open a channel? How do you go from on-chain to the second layer? You still need to make a transaction on the on-chain. So that's, yeah, that, that's kind of my insights about you have the network, which is not for enemies and needs to be protected at all costs. Because without the network, the asset doesn't do anything. If you can use, if you can access the network, it doesn't matter how many bitcoins you have, where you keep them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, I have a ton of thoughts about this. Of course, I'm sure. First of all, the 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 dichotomy is it, it is made up, but it does make sense from your point of view. Like your your, but but as as we went into briefly before, like the Satoshi doesn't really exist. So it's just the network and there is no asset. The asset is in our heads. So right. to, to the, to the network, there is no asset. It's just the network. Like, uh, and it's a network of human actors acting on incentives and all the computers involved are merely tools for helping us verify. Like that's the thing about running a node, for instance, I think people misinterpret what that's good for and they think that if they run a raspberry pi at home they help the security of the network the thing they help is their they help verify their own transactions like uh that's what you run a node for so that someone isn't sending you fake bitcoins or uh, right in, in a sense right there, there's uh, also the advantages of running a node but yeah know. yeah there's all, all sorts of it but but that's the gist of it and also that's that's what it is a part of the network because that's what enables uh, things like a user-activated soft fork and stuff. So, so, so it does have an impact, and it, it is a good thing to do. Um, yeah, and and when you say uh, another thing here uh, is when you say that the, the United States has two hundred thousand bitcoins, what that it really means is that some guy has two hundred thousand bitcoins, 
some guy possesses them. The United States may own them on paper, but some guy has the keys, like a custodian or whatever it is. The custodian is not an, uh, an institution. It's a person. Uh, and I, I, the, they might be in some sort of multi-sig solution, but at the end of the day, it's just a guy or some guys keeping a secret from one another. So, so that's, a, that's another thing to consider. Like, uh, if this guy is ethical and the United States wanted to do something uh, akin to what you described as clogging the chain with bullshit, then that some guy might just take the Bitcoin and fuck off. Like that's that's a possible scenario. So there's there, and I'm just alluding to this because there's there are so many things at play here that that are not obvious at first glance. What what are your thoughts? I don't really know how the U.S. government uh, store the Bitcoin um, if it's on Coinbase or if they have the, the wallet in some building in the Pentagon. I have no idea. I know the you know the U.S. government has a Let's call it asset, access to 200. That's seized Bitcoin, I think, from Silk Road, uh, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, I know. Um, but there, there is a custodian somewhere, and that custodian is always vulnerable to a $5 wrench attack. Like, <laughs> if, Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, the point being, whether, it, whether it's the U.S. government or whether it's China or whether it's uh, Ordinals and who else, who knows who's finding them, you can definitely, so as far as I can tell, by the way, I actually then, I was so worried about this thing. I, I wanted to figure out what is the maximum amount that fees can be on a sustained period. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had a conversation about that. Uh, I remember we, we had a call about that, about like brainstorming about that. About the I think I'm actually figuring it out because fees are paid in Bitcoin. Not in dollars. Yes. And Bitcoin as a, as a finite amount, 21 million. Actually, today is 19.4 million. And some are lost, some are in, who knows, but let's say all are available. And then you, 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 you can work your way down to figure out. So as far as I, so here's my prediction. Fees are never going to stay above 1000 sub per V byte for a long period of time because there is not enough Bitcoin. To sustain those amount of fees. So let me run you through the math. At a hundred thousand sub per V byte, uh, if you have uh, a one output, a one input, so the smallest possible, uh, you think so? A transaction would cost you 200,000 sats. Okay. Now that's the, the smallest one. So we're being very generous here. So let's call it 200,000 sats. It would cost to make one transaction. Now, you, uh, so on average, a blockchain, a block uh, has 4,000 transactions. So you do 200,000 sats by 4,000. It's 80 Bitcoin. So imagine in transaction fees, it's 80. Oh, is that it? Maybe it's eight. It's eight or 80. I don't know. It's eight, something but like eight. But the bottom line, if you multiply this by, uh, 52,260, which is the number of blocks per year, you end up with 420,000 Bitcoin paid in fees each year. So now, obviously, at this rate, it would take, um, in 10 years, you would spend 4 million Bitcoin, which they're not even available 
to be spent on fees. And so, and so that's, so that's kind of my 1000 set per V byte at that level. There is simply not enough Bitcoin to be, uh, because obviously you have to think that the only way for fees to be high, if it's the block is full. If the block is not full, transaction should be one set per V byte. It is that economic behavior. So the, since you can, you have to put, you can put 4,000 uh, transactions, but you can, you can do the limits, right? And so, yeah, so my prediction is, uh, so I cannot with this 1,000 set per V byte, you end up costing 400,000 Bitcoin per year just in fees, which is obviously not sustainable. And if you look back at history, I think we've never been above a thousand sets per V byte or very, for very few blocks have been above. I don't know, the median fee, obviously you have always the, the guy that paid two Bitcoin by accident. And so that's, that's my calculation. So, but now, so now think about this, right? So here's the problem. So say we get to a thousand sub per V byte as the new normal and making that transaction is 200,000 sats. If you have UTXO that are 1 million sats, you can only make five transactions and then it's gone in fees. So any UTXO below 1 million is basically dust. And so what, one warning if anybody's listening and doing the DCA $50 a month as transferring $50 out, that's probably not a good idea. You might end up basically DCA and nothing. And so now, you know, if people have 10, even as 10 million sats, uh, UTXO, which is, you know, it's not bad. Uh, a 200,000 transaction fees is 2% fees. And unlike fiat, where you can always make more of it, you can make more of Bitcoin, which means at, at some point you're going to run out of stats because of fees. And so fees are really, if I look at the blockchain of Bitcoin at a holistic level, the weak point, and I know it's, you know, you have the block size worse. We keep the block size small, which is what causing fees to be high, of course, because of decentralization of the network. But the fees, as far as I can tell, is the way to attack Bitcoin. The network is through the fees, which obviously, I mean, we've been seeing this now for, um, you know, without being conspir conspiracy theorists and whoever is paying ordinals to JPEG. You know, if I'm a bad, if I'm a bad actor and I say, okay, how do I stop Bitcoin? Plug the blockchain so nobody can use it. Well, you don't stop it. You just pause it and you force people to huddle for a long time. Uh, right. But so you say, let me ask you this. I know you told me this, but if I want to buy a house in Bitcoin, Am I going to wait six months to make that transaction? You know. Well, well, you could make the seller wait six months. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, not you, exactly you, buyable, you can write so. you can write in the contract that oh, okay, I'm going to buy this house, but I'm going to I'm not going to pay more fees than this. Are you okay with that? And you can make a deal like that. And also, the the thousand sats per v byte, uh, it's an estimation. I get that. But there, there are other ways to pay miners than on chain, uh, which is which is the problem. And and this is also why it's so important for solo miners and smaller mining things to be to actually be miners and not just be hashers. And the only about the only way to do that right now is to correct, connect to Ocean. Not, Ocean has no competitors at the moment. Like the the alternative is solo mining, I guess. But all the other pools set their own rules, and you don't have a say in the rules. 
And then, then you're not a miner, you're a hasher. You're selling yeah, hash yeah. power. To, you're yeah. an employee, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I've, I've, looked, uh, I've looked into this, again, since kind of Christmas time. I've been thinking almost every day about mining and fees and what are the second and third uh, effects of, you know, we go back to the hash, uh, to, the, to the block size wars, and we choose to keep the block small to fit. Yeah, um, you know about the blockchain trilemma, of course. I think there is another, there is a dilemma as well, which is you can either have decentralization of nodes or you can have low fees, which means uh, as many people as possible can access the network. You can have both. No, and and uh, of course you choose decentralization because if you have low fees but no decentralization, you're back with fiat again. Exactly, it's a dilemma. You can, but at the same time, you know, if 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 you have decentralization nodes, but then the fees are ten thousand sat per v byte, let's say now a transaction is two million sats. So basically, you 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 only Michael Saylor and Coinbase and BlackRock can use the cut like. What, whatever you achieve at that point, you know, it, it's, there is no free lunch. That's what I'm trying to say. There's no free yeah, lunch. Yeah, no, 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 no. And, and, and there is no second breakfast, speaking of Michael Saylor. And uh, <laughs> there's no second we'll, breakfast. <laughs> we'll, uh, uh, and there's no fucking brunch. It's a made up word. Uh, it's like the doshi. It's still a breakfast. It's your first meal per day. Like you break your exactly. fast. It's a fucking breakfast. Like, um, where was I going with this? I completely lost my train of thought here. The dilemma, you know, the, 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 the no free lunch. The show is sponsored by Amber App, the number one Bitcoin exchange in the Southern Hemisphere. And the reason we partnered with Amber App is the people that work there, especially Izzy, my favorite hippie. If you haven't seen it already, check out our episode with Izzy. It'll show you exactly why we just had to partner with Amber App. Izzy focuses on the orange glowing light, and so do we. And we think you should too. Amber app will be launching the version 2.0 soon and rolling out globally. They'll be including a non-custodial on-chain wallet, an anonymous lightning wallet, a fiat wallet, and an exchange all in one. It's going to be a super app. It's like WeChat, but without the CCP. So stay tuned, follow Amber app on X, and check out their website for more information at amber.app. Next up, Wasabi Wallet. The privacy by default, open source, non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with CoinJoin built in. It's the easy-to-use, comprehensive, affordable way to make your coins private. Oh, if you want a privacy for your Bitcoin, don't be an idiot samurai. Use a Wasabi Wallet now. So check out wasabiwallet.io and download Wasabi today. Yeah, so, so this is the thing. The, the, here's another thought nugget for you to chew on when speaking of mining. You know the theory of how Bitcoiners, Bitcoin moves the shelling point of violence so the the basic thing premise is if the asset is in my head even if i point a gun to your head you get nothing if you kill me so it disincentivizes violence and coercion here's here's the caveat like is this true for miners though don't miners have an incentive to attack one another a miner to attack one another yeah, so if there's a hangar with full of ASICs and there's another hangar full of ASICs, I have an incentive to blow up that hangar. My, my, 
you know, I have a double incentive because like my hash power goes up and also his hash power goes down. So a double yeah, yeah, of course. whammy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's mining is a ultra competitive uh, environment where it's, it's a zero sum game. Either I mine the block or you mine the block. And, and definitely the more ash power I have, the higher the chance I mine more blocks than you. And the less ash power you have, the still more the chance. So here's another thought that I had a couple of months ago that maybe explain why we haven't seen the miners civil wars. Because Bitcoin is a finite asset, right? That means, so imagine we live in a Bitcoin world. There's only Bitcoin. Just imagine that for a second. Now, what happens is all the productivity of the world has to fit into this box called 21 million. Everything divided by 21 million. Exactly. Now, but wait, I think it gets better than this. Now, Obviously, as as economic actor, we always want to improve our lives, which means that's why productivity goes up all the time, because I want to make my life easier and you want to make your life easier. So you got to think about how am I going to make this thing that I'm doing faster or cheaper? And that's how productivity uh, and that's how technology exists and productivity. So now yeah, it's it's even simpler. Like if you practice, you get better. Right. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. all prices exactly. ought to go down. It's as simple exactly. as that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. Exactly. So now, but think about this, right? I mean, I'm in California. You're in Spain and Luke is in uh, Finland. In the fear world, whatever you do in Spain and whatever you do in Finland, whatever I do in California, we don't benefit from it unless I'm using the product, the service that you're working on. Right? Clearly. But in a Bitcoin world or in a finite monetary system world, since all the productivity has to fit in the same box, whenever you increase your productivity, I gain from it. Yes. Because my, the, the purchasing power of whatever Bitcoin I have has to go up to match your extra productivity. Exactly. Which is, the fiat world is actually the opposite, the reverse of that, because there's always more units. And well, it so has a, it's not the actual, it's not the exact reverse. It has a bit of that. I would say it's a, I, I call it the dog on three legs. It's a handicapped version of Bitcoin, basically. Mm, but we did, also. It, since, since uh, fiat currencies are exchangeable for one another, there is a certain synergy, like you're, but then again, there's the money printer. So, so it, the system itself handicaps itself. Like, it's uh, no, no, shooting. exactly. Yeah. Is, is the printing that is the printing that, so when you print, you're making the box bigger and bigger and bigger. So think about the, the amount of money in circulation is all in a box and you own a percentage of that box, which is whatever your net worth is in the, in fiat. Now in Bitcoin, the box cannot get bigger. In fact, it actually gets smaller every day because people lost the keys and, you know, but let's just, just stay safe. That box is fixed and you have to stuff more and more productivity in it. In the fear world, they can make the box grow faster than the amount of productivity that goes into the box, which is why we have inflation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 
I would say you, you, you and Luke benefit from my productivity whenever the, if the, whenever inflation is slower than the increased productivity of mankind. Of course. So that's why I say it can be. Yeah. Which is the, yeah, but, um, which is the whole point, which is how inflation even, um, um, exist is only if you print more money than the velocity of productivity. Yeah. The velocity of money printing that has to be higher than the velocity of productivity. And now you get inflation. If, if the money printing is slower than the productivity increase, you get deflation. This is why, why, why prices were so stable on the gold standard, because the uh, increased efficiency in finding new gold uh, was what, yeah, was uh, about the same as the increased productivity and everything else. And Bitcoin is a completely different beast because Bitcoins won't. So it's not digital gold. It's, it's, it's so way much better. better. Yeah. But it's, it's even better because when you think about it, people lose sats, whatever, every day. So actually it's not even fixed. It's the box itself is shrinking, which means your percentage of the network increases unless you lose the keys. Yeah. And so the, this process is even faster. But anyway, so back to the miners, right? Obviously, miners get put in Bitcoin. That's all there is. And so maybe one of the reasons why they don't go and blow up each other um, facilities is because they know that now, of course, the mine is a very unique environment when it comes to Bitcoin. But maybe one of the reasons is because the amount of Bitcoin that they own increases whenever somebody makes Bitcoin better in some way, shape, or form. But I haven't thought about mining uh, in terms of violence, to be honest with you. Uh, that's the first time I heard that. But it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I spent a, uh, a bit of time thinking about it. And I think miners do have an incentive to, to keep Bitcoin working uh, long term. But they because also they get have, paid in Bitcoin. Yeah, but they can also get paid in fiat. And this is why it's so important for a, a miner to be a, an actual miner and not just a hasher for a bigger pool. Because the thing that happens is like, so the, the pool participants, the hashers, they, the, when they see that a pool is getting too large, like it's approaching 50%, then they need to switch pools. And they usually do that because they're afraid of Bitcoin being taken over by one pool. The problem is they don't know the ownership structures of the pools. So the same entity may own both of the biggest pools, which is what uh, like Luke Dash, yeah, yeah, may. <laughs> so, so this, this may or may not be a problem. Uh, if it's true, it's definitely a problem and we should be stay vigilant and do what we can to, to like protect Bitcoin because Bitcoin is precious. The th the experiment cannot be replicated. We cannot have a Bitcoin 2.0. This is it. Life is not a rehearsal. Bitcoin is we not have a one rehearsal. shot of this. One shot. So, so it's it's very important to, if you're a miner, to to act morally, if not for anything else, then for your own survival. Your own long-term survival is entirely dependent on you knowing where you direct that hashing power. Yeah, the, the, uh, again, I didn't know how much about mining until two months ago. And then I went so fast into that. Yeah. Miners getting paid out of band 
it's a problem. It's, de- it's definitely a problem. Uh, I mean, minus it's actually the pools that get playing out of band. Um, it's well, they uh, are yeah. the miners. They are the miners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. They're the miners. Yeah, no, there's uh, there's definitely a, a lot of shenanigans going on. Then, if you never look at mining, you have a different view of Bitcoin. Once you start looking at mining, I think you get more nuanced and a little bit more realistic about uh, the Bitcoin, the ecosystem. And maybe I shouldn't have done that, but I have. Well, well, there, there are. It's not simple though, and I, I don't think this JPEG bullshit is some sort of sustainable long-term attack. I, I, I just don't. I just don't see that happening. I think there's some risks to it involved, and like it might reduce the functionality of Bitcoin somewhat for a certain amount of time, but I don't see it as a sustainable thing. And also, miners getting paid off-band, like everything in an economy is connected. There is no such thing as a circular economy. Uh, all Bitcoin transactions are usually you're buying something that is not another bitcoin you're buying something outside of the chain right so 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 everyone was always going to be paid in something that wasn't bitcoin the problem here is like that that the these mining pools have a another incentive than to just like provide hash power to make the best monetary network ever created secure uh, and get paid in new Bitcoin. They they also the the thing is that they're not Bitcoiners because they don't see how precious those Bitcoins are. They they are fiat minded. They want to grab as much cash as they can as fast as they can. Absolutely, yeah. There is a lot. Uh, you know, now that I've you know that I had this company for almost years now, I've actually spoke with a lot of companies in Bitcoin, and I can tell you, there's a lot of Bitcoin companies that are no Bitcoin companies. You talk to some companies because I was trying to build my payment infrastructure uh, for the Bitcoin uh, for the Bitcoin membership, and I talked to some companies that I was kind of fan of it before I get into uh, this business. Like, like, oh yeah, you have to KYC. It's like, what do you mean I have to KYC? What's the old po- what's the point of doing Bitcoin and KYC? What is the point? It's like it's like going to a vegan restaurant and asking for a steak. They just go to the steakhouse. But they would just throw, I actually got angry one time and got the call. They would just throw KYC like it's nothing. I said, oh yeah, you just KYC. That was the problem. I said, are you serious? Uh, anyway, so yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fiat people in Bitcoin, more than, than I could ever imagine. And, uh, you know, don't trust verify. Let's put it that way. Well, it's going to take a hard. It's going to take a long time for people to to get out of the fiat mindset. It is it is a very tricky thing to do because you're programmed to think that money is one thing, and now all of a sudden you have to think that this other thing is money. It's a very most people can't like get over that threshold. They think of Bitcoin as something that they deal with in order to get more dollars, and not the exactly. other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I give you an example. You know, again, Orange Flap is completely paywalled, right? No free trial, no freemium. And I, which obviously is a very unique business model. And I can tell you that 
especially nowadays, because people certain, you know, people have learned kind of, but at the beginning it's like, wow, why, why should I pay for, for, for this? And when you think about it, this is the most fiat mindset ever. Yeah. Why should you pay for somebody else's labor? Like, are you serious? Like, like Bitcoin, uh, you know, I actually come up with this kind of, when it comes to business models, you have two kinds of business models. You have the honest business model, which is, Hey, do you want this? Pay for it. Use it. Get that, you know, do you want this steak? Great. Here's $20. And then you have the, so you pay a front, you know what you're getting. It's transparent. And then you have the dishonest business model, which is everything is free. Don't you worry. We might steal your data and sell it to the biggest advertiser, but it's, you know, and it's, it's, it's by definition a dishonest business model because you don't know what you're paying for. You don't know what, in fact, when you don't pay for something, you most likely going to end up paying more in some under, indirect ways. Yeah. And, and, uh, it, yeah, the fiat, the fiat virus is very prevalent. Right? Without a doubt. It, the, the saying goes, if it's free, you're the product. And the, the, the add-on to that is, if it's public, publicly funded and fr- quote-unquote free, it's not free at all, but you're still the fucking product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a trick. You see, that's a trick of the other world. They trick us, especially in Europe. Free healthcare. Education. Yeah, 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 yeah. It it is not free, number one, because the the teacher that they still need to get paid. Yeah, and then you see, this is a thought that I had many years because now I live in the U.S., but I'm from Europe and from Italy. But you, I can't tell you how many arguments are going to people. Oh, but you guys have to pay for healthcare. Isn't that crazy? It's like, you know, obviously everybody pays for healthcare, and I'm not defending, by the way, the insurance model, but that's a different story. But if I'm the government and I want to, to have more power over you, me giving you free stuff is how I get you to be more dependent on me. And I still charge you. Yeah. I still charge you with taxes and inflation. And I, it, it's the perfect, it's the perfect robbery, actually. I give you something that you think is free. I get more power over you because now you need me more than before, and I still charge you. And people will go out and defend me. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's perfect. Uh, it, it's so ridiculous. There is no second breakfast, as we've been through already. There is no second breakfast. And people, the only reason that they can get away with calling it free is that the media is state-funded or state-subsidized. So the media, the education. Everything. Everything. Yeah. And like, it's so depressing. Like people actually vote for higher taxes. Like how gullible can you be? Like they, they don't, I mean, they, they don't, they don't, they don't even know, you know, I, you know, I call this the fish and the water problem. Have you heard the story? Two fishes, they've been in the morning and one goes to the other. Hey, how's the water today? And the other goes, water, what is water? Yeah, exactly. When you are in water all of your lives, you don't even know they can, what is water. And so people don't even know what is the government. 
They just think, oh yeah, sure, education is free because you know we pay taxes. It's it takes a long time and a lot of time. It takes a lot of reflection and 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 study and even the willingness to be saying, oh, I've been wrong all my life, and all the people I know have been wrong. All it, it's it's kind of hard when you you know it takes some kind of person to say, hold on a second. Have we all been wrong here? Have we all been fooled for decades? Or my not, you know, it's not easy. I, I can understand, you know, it's, I can understand why people don't want. And also, I, as you know, the last thing people want is to be wrong. And what's that Mark Twain quote? Like, it's easier to uh, fool a person than it, than it is to convince him that he has been fooled. I think there's a lot to that uh, because people don't want to be wrong. And they don't want to, yeah. So, so it takes uh, courage and self-criticism, and uh, those are scarce assets. They're very scarce. Yes. The show is also sponsored by Geyser, the portal to the creator economy on Bitcoin. On Geyser, creators can monetize their work through their communities in a social and engaging way, and you can send sats to your favorite projects. They have loads of new features, including new reward options, giving creators and supporters new ways to connect and grow together. Geyser Fund is the best way to support our show directly with Bitcoin. And we have a fabulous lightning address, freedom at geyser.fund. So whether you're a creator or supporter, check out geyser at geyser.fund today. The show is also sponsored by Orange Pill App, the Bitcoin-only social network where you can stack friends who stack sats. You can connect with your favorite Bitcoiners on the app, like Safedina Moose, Peter McCormack, or Natalie Brunel. Make local connections and find all the nearby meetups, see what's going on in your area, and connect with Bitcoiners around you. And now, with a brand new merchant section, it's easier than ever to find and connect with local businesses that accept Bitcoin. The best part about Orange Pill App is that you know that it's high signal because you're paying for Orange Pill App, and so is everyone else. There are no Asian ladies asking you how your trade is going on Orange Pill App because it's not a trading app. It's a dating app. Is it a dating app? So download the Orange Pill app on Apple or Android, send us a DM, and start building your local network of Bitcoiners. Uh, as usual, these these rabbit holes and all this uh firmly interesting from from my part i i like the direction you guys have have kind of taken it uh, but from from my part i just want to pull things back into the uh orange pill app space of it all um mateo can you go into a little bit more uh about what you're expecting out of the the coming year for orange pill app what what are you hoping that that uh the app does and uh, any, any hints at big things coming up? Yeah. So 2024, uh, you know, again, 2023 was our first year and, you know, we had to battle with Google and multi billion, multi billion dollar public company. So it was not, you know, it was not exactly a walk in the park, but you know, we, you know, it was a great year and, you know, we grow from zero to almost 9,000 members now. So 2024, you know, we just launched Merchants, uh, which in my mind was the last big piece of the puzzle. But there were, there's the first piece, which is the networking. So one-on-one, I found nearby plebs. I contacted them. We get to get a beer or we go to a conference together, whatever. And then we had the events, which we built last year. All the meetups, all the conference. In fact, I think we are already the biggest repository of Bitcoin-only events in the world is Orange Pilot. So uh, we have 300 or 400 of them any given day on the app. 
And then the last piece was merchants. And, you know, again, just launch. And now we, we're going to build the web app, as we mentioned before. We also going to build uh, an event ticketing feature. And so you could, you, you could be selling uh, tickets to your meetups, conference could be selling tickets to their, to the conference. And this is all in Bitcoin. Because my goal is to, my goal is to speed up Bitcoin adoption, basically. That's, that's really the goal here. How do we speed up Bitcoin adoption? And obviously one way is to give more tools to people to find each other, uh, do business with each other. You know, the ticketing, it's, you know what's funny? Uh, a story I just uh, I heard a couple of weeks ago, which blew me away. And there's this guy that I, that I, you know, I send message to as much members as I can. And this guy told me, Oh, I don't even have Bitcoin. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't have Bitcoin? What are you doing here? You paid to be on app that's for Bitcoin. And he told me this. Well, I've been hearing about Bitcoins for years, but I don't know anybody in real life to talk about Bitcoin. So I use your app to study Bitcoin. And now I own Bitcoin, which is like, it's completely mind blowing. But yes, I wanted to make sure it was not a scam. And I want to talk to people in, in person and I didn't know anybody. So I use your app as a no corner and then I became a big corner, which is that's kind of fantastic. You know, which is, yeah. It, it's, it's something, you know, that's, that's you build the technology with one purpose and then people are going to use it in ways that you can never fathom. Uh, like this guy is like, it, cause you know, when I build this app, I said, okay, this is the app for the Bitcoin maxi. People that have read all the books and all the podcasts and they don't want to listen to other posts and they want to go out and actually socialize and build maybe a family or a friendship or a company or whatever it is. And now I see people, and this is, I mean, this is uh, an extreme case. The guy doesn't even have Bitcoin, but I've heard of people that they basically use Orange Club as a shortcut of education. But you can go and listen to all the Knut podcasts. And all the Michael Saylor and all the Breed Love and all the Safety, which that's what I did, right? Or you can go on Orange Club app and then because they're all Bitcoin Maxi and the Bitcoin Maxi, they love to teach newbies about Bitcoin. So they go and they, and they find, Hey, can you tell me about money? And they love it. So they use Orange Club app as an educational tool to like, because you know, Knut obviously has a vast knowledge, but you can't get to Knut. And not everybody can get to Knut, right? It's, it's very, you know, obviously time is scarce. But there is, there is thousands of Knut kind of level Bitcoiners around the world that are not public, but they have all this knowledge. And now you can find them. Even if it's online, even if they're not nearby, because you just need the information, the knowledge. And so there is all this uh, element of speeding up the adoption of, of Bitcoin and giving more tools and also making the network more resilient. Again, if I know the butcher where I can get my meat and we get CBDC and they go and say, you know, you can have more than this amount of meat per week or per month because climate change, whatever, whatever. I don't care. But I need to know where is the butcher. I need to have that connection first. And so that's you know, that's one of the goal of the app, create connections so we can be 
uh, we can step out of the fiat world. Matej, you've said before that the goal of Orange Pill app is to make Orange Pill app redundant. So, so like you're accelerating uh, hyper Bitcoinization. So when when we're actually all Bitcoiners, oh yeah, there's no sure. need for Orange Pill app because then everyone's the same anyway. Yeah, there's um, there's an argument. There's an argument there. I, I, personally, I believe hyper Bitcoinization. It's 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 not next week or next month or next year. No, no, no. But but it's but it's a fun many many uh, years. Well, yeah, but it's a probably many generations. But it's a fun thought experiment, uh, regardless. So so I was thinking about that when we talked about the um, on honest miners and stuff before, uh, and you know being bribed outside of the chain and everything. So and when you talked about that no coiner just going on Orange Pill app to find Bitcoiners, like. Would you define that person as a Bitcoiner before he had Bitcoin? Like maybe, right? Like what is a Bitcoiner? It's a it's a very strange abstract term. But I think there's an argument to be made that uh, a Bitcoiner is a person that uh, holds honesty uh, higher than anything else, in higher regard than any any other behavior. They want we we love honesty. Like we want honesty everywhere, so that that be, that that leads to another question: um, if if hyper Bitcoinization happens and everyone's using Bitcoin, Orange Pill app is redundant, but isn't Bitcoin itself redundant too? If everyone's honest, yeah. Well, I can tell you this. I can tell you this. I was talking to an investor last week, and. He's in Bitcoin, but he's not really in Bitcoin, right? And I asked the guy, what is the percentage of people that are pro-honesty, pro-freedom, anti-government, anti-state? What would you say is a percentage? 1%, 2%, 3%? Like, forget about Bitcoin, right? If you ask, if you go on the street and say, hey, do you think the government should be bigger or smaller? Do you think the government should tell me uh, what vaccine I need or... You know, there's definitely a percentage of, of people in the world that don't like that. And I told the guy, look, these people are all Bitcoiners, even if they don't own Bitcoin. They just don't know it yet that Bitcoin is the tool to get what they want. Yes. And, and you know, so, and I told the guy, look, it's, it's very reasonable to think that at least 1% of the world, it's anti-government, pro-freedom, pro-honest. It's probably more, but let's just 1%. That's 80 million people. Now, Bitcoin Maxi today, whatever you want to call them, I call them Bitcoin Maxi. It's probably half a million, maybe 1 million, maybe. So, so I sent a tweet actually after this call. I say, okay, so if 1% of the world is eventually going to be a Bitcoiner and now it's only 1 million, that means the price of Bitcoin has to go up 80 times because we're going to go from 1 million Bitcoiners to 80 million Bitcoiners if you only get 1 million, uh, sorry, if you only get 1%, right? But, uh, but do I think that everybody's going to be honest? No, it's, that's not human nature. Do I think everybody's going to be a Bitcoiner? No, if I'm honest, it, there's never going to be a world. I mean, if you study enough history, um, you see this over and over again. There is always people that want more government, 
There's always going to be people that choose security over freedom. That's just in human nature. And there's the minority are choosing freedom over security. I don't yeah, think well, there's per, ever going to be a society where... Perceived security. That's what they're choosing. Yeah, in their freedom. mind, it's security. Yeah. Because um, you can say reality is only perceived, right? You can say reality doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, what yeah, you yeah. think is reality. Here, here's another rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's another rabbit hole. But so, yeah, so there's, in my view, look, there's always going to be a need in, because of human nature, there's always going to be a need for a tool to find people that are in the minority, pro-honesty, pro-freedom, anti-government, no matter what. Now, Bitcoin could be $10 million. And Bitcoin could be uh, the global reserve currency. That's not going to change human nature. Somewhat. It's <laughs> if you if you remove the if you move the shelling point of violence and change the incentives, it's going it to change, change the incentive. Human. Exactly, it doesn't change the human nature. You don't change human nature. You can where, change. Where, where do you draw the line? You can change the incentive structure. No, it's uh, no. That that's why we're in this, I guess. Like we we see a we really do see a brighter future here. Yeah, we have a tool now. We have a tool for the first time, at least in my lifetime. We have a tool to achieve what we always wanted, which is more freedom, less surveillance, less scrutiny, less restriction. The internet was supposed to be this, but obviously, well, the internet has been captured completely. Obviously, um, not completely. It's still well compared to the original vision. It's pretty much yeah, but it's still better than only having landline phones. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But 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 the internet was the tool that was going to liberate humanity from governments. Oh, we can now find each other, we cannot communicate with each other, and then you have the NSA, and then you have Facebook, and all this big tech, and, and why, and again, and this is one of the reasons why I'm not exactly bullish on Nostr, is because the internet did not have economic incentives in, embedded in the protocol. If you remove the economic incentive of Bitcoin, Bitcoin dies tomorrow, literally. There will be no mining, there will be no nodes, except some cyberpunks. I mean, the reason why people get into Bitcoin is number go up. I mean, that was my reason. I don't know about you guys, but I think 95% of people they say, okay, yeah, this can, and then you, you know, come from the, come from the gains and stay for the revolution, right? The internet didn't, because it was free to use and anybody could use it, there was no cost to use it. It got captured by big tech and big government. And, and that's kind of one of my criticism of Nostr, which I align in to, I align with Nostr on the principles. I, I don't, I, I see three problems with Nostr. You want to get into that? One is psychological, one is technical, and one is strategic. So the psychological problem is this, right? Why do people use social media? There's two reasons, as far as I can tell. One is to consume content that is not available elsewhere. So TikTok, thought, addictive videos. You can only find them on TikTok. Instagram, 
beautiful women and places. It's like all rosy. It's on Instagram. Twitter used to be, now it's getting different, but it was uh, short form, either very funny or very intelligent content. So that's reason number one. Because if you could find the tweets on, on, on CN, CNN, you wouldn't need Twitter. You just go on CNN. Obviously, CNN doesn't do that. That's different kind of content. So that's why you have Twitter. So number one is to consume content that is not available elsewhere. And number two is to propagate your ideas as far as, as wide as possible. So you can have your ideas and you can tell your wife or your husband, your friends, your children, which, okay, great. It's 10 people, 20. Or you can be on Twitter. Let's, let's take Twitter, right? You can be on Twitter. All, all of a sudden, you have a thousand people or 10,000 or a hundred thousand. And that's what social media enables you, right? So one, consume unique content. Two, increase your idea propagation reach. Now, if you look at Noster, obviously it fails on both counts because they, you know, I spend a lot of time on Noster. I would say probably 90% of the content that I can find on Noster is also on Twitter because everybody is pretty much on Twitter, right? But there is no need really to go on Noster to read Lean Out and Thoughts when I can, I'm already on Twitter and I can already see that, right? So there is nothing unique in terms of content on Noster. And then the reach is maybe one millionth of Twitter. So obviously there's no need, I mean, the, the, there's no value for me to send uh, I, my thoughts that I want to propagate because, you know, there's a, the meme propagation of its evolution and, and the filtering, you know, the, the, the original documents move, right? You want to propagate your genes and you want to propagate your memes, which are your ideas. That's what humans do. And so now I go on Noster and I have one millionth of the views that I would get on Twitter. And also, I, there's really nothing unique on Noster that I cannot find elsewhere where I'm already have. So that's number, problem number one. Well, well, Which let me interrupt. It's running a big problem, by the way. Yes, please go ahead. Yeah, a short, a short interruption there because uh, I think the idea is uh, that it's doubled now, but also if Lynn Alden or anyone else gets shadow banned on Twitter, she, mm -hmm. you still find her on Noster. So, the, so it's like a safety net. Uh, that people people have both because they 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 can they can also it's also easier to detect if something's wrong with Twitter if you're also a master. So that's a pro like the devil's advocate argument for that. You know, a good a good a good example, a good analogy that I had once is like Nostor is like a gun. I have a gun in my house because I'm in the United States, so I need a gun because everybody's got a gun. So I need to protect myself. Okay. But I have a gun in my house. I don't use it and I don't want to use it, but I definitely want to have it. Yeah. To me, this is the, this is the clearest uh, definition of Nostra. I have a Nostra account. I don't want to use it because there is nothing unique there. The reach is very small, but I definitely want to have it in case something goes wrong with Twitter, which obviously is very unlikely because you have the economic incentive. But yeah. If Twitter tomorrow gets shut down for whatever reason, or Elon Musk loses mind even further and say, you know what, F with, go fuck yourself, Twitter. I'm going to shut it down. Yes, Nostra is going to bloom. It's going to be 
I'm glad there is a, I'm glad, I'm glad I have a gun in my safe and I'm glad there is Noster as an option, but it's not what I want to use every day. Cause the reason why I'm on social media is again, unique content and propagate my ideas as far as I can. Um, so that's the first problem with Noster, which, which is the problem of, of, of all the network products. Why it's very hard to disrupt network products because of this reason. So now, obviously, you know, I have, I had the same problem when I launched Orange Club, which is why we don't have a feed on Orange Club. And we're never going to have a feed, no matter how many people ask me about the feed. Because the last thing I want is to compete with Noster, let alone Twitter. The moment you step in that ring, it's game over. Because people are going to think, people, this is how the humans, this is how the human brain works, right? We do trade-off analysis all the time in our brain, subconsciously. If I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to Luke. And I'm not talking to my wife. And I'm, go- and I'm not going for, it's trade-off all the way down. And so the, the humans are really good at doing this in the background. So if I'm on Twitter, I'm not on Nostra. If I'm Nostra, I'm not on Twitter. Now, of course, we already talked about why Twitter is way better. So anyway, so that's problem number one. Problem number two is the technical aspect of censorship resistant, which censorship resistant is just a service that is provided to you by somebody else. In the case of, of Bitcoin, is a service that is provided to you by the miners and the nodes, which are paid in big. There is an economic uh, component because nobody does, not nobody, but most people don't do nothing for free. Um, and Bitcoin works because there are no free rights. Everybody has to pay to access the network. No matter who you are, the, the, net, the network doesn't care if you're Michael Stiller or if you're the player with one sat. It doesn't matter. You pay the access. Now that, that economic value is now used by the people providing you the censorship resistance. And now you get to, you pay for the access, you pay for the service. Okay. So on Nostra, everything is free, which means the relay and clients have to come out with their own monetization models. Cause obviously it costs money to run the nodes. It costs money, to, sorry, it costs money to run a client. It costs money to run a relay. I actually run a relay for a couple of months because I actually wanted to learn. Which is why I know that a lot of clients are dropping off and there's a little bit of censorship already. Without the economic model, you don't get the security model. Because the security model costs money. And the only way to get it is you have an economic model. Which is the genius of Satoshi figuring out that you need to have a token that has value. Well, it didn't have value, but you need to pay the miners in some kind of form. And so NOSA doesn't have that. And you can say, well, but you can pay for relays or you can pay for clients. Yes, you can also pay for a blue check on Twitter. Doesn't mean anything. Okay. A uh, couple of questions here. Uh, like, first sure. of all, when, when you say consume content, I, 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 another way to express that is listening to other people. That's all you're doing when you're consuming content listening or watching a video or you know yeah, yeah but even if you're watching something or you're a video or a picture it's it's someone communicating something to sure. you sure yeah uh and that might be the person's intentions are mostly unknown to you they might be selling you something an idea or a product or a service or whatever 
Yeah, but everybody you, has you, an agenda. Yeah, uh, but you you do consume content because you know that the only way forward in life is to get information into your brain and and filter it, and something will pop out the other end, hopefully. So you, yeah. so you can give something. Well, something back. definitely come out of it, no matter what. It, we don't have we don't have a choice of not being influenced. There's no such thing as we all influenced by by ideas and a lot of stuff, even the weather and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can go up in a mountain and be a hermit and uh, live in a cave. That's like the furthest away from the you influence of others. You don't have most up there. No, <laughs> probably not. So what do you think? The, the, the Twitter, one of the first things Elon did with Twitter was this uh, blue checkmark thing that all the celebrities got pissed at because now they weren't special anymore. And it's just $8, please. Uh, do you? And it's very similar. It's similar to Orange Bill so, so do you think that was a genius move? And do you think it will help free speech? Like, let's, what, what does it do? Yeah. So, yeah. So look at Elon Musk, right? I think, I mean, obviously I'm not in his mind, but I, as far as I can tell, he really cares about humanity and he really cares about free speech. And I mean, he's literally been on stage telling the CEO of Disney to go fuck himself because he was trying to censor That shit. was so epic. I had a tear in my eye and goosebumps. I fucking loved it. He, he has a few money. Let's, let's put it that way. That's what happens when, when you have a few money. So now, so where does censorship come from? Think about it. Where, where does censorship come from? So you have two places that censorship come from. One is your own morality, right? So you say, well, I am uh, very religious. So if you're an atheist on my platform, I'm going to ban you because I, I, I don't like your ideas. I don't want your ideas to propagate. But that's not censorship. Well, I'm talking if you are uh, Elon Musk operator. If you, if you run a social network, on a social network, you can obviously we have our own morality and say, well, I don't like these people. So I'm going to block access to my platform. So I censor them. Now, I know you can say, it's my platform. I do whatever I want. But if you look at the example of Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you and, and before that, before you know, Musk. I mean, that was obvious. Like all the people that got banned because they say women cannot be men. That was completely ideological, right? So, censorship comes from two places: your own morality, or whoever is pulling the string morality, and advertisers. That's it. There's no other place or the government. Sure. Government is the biggest, biggest uh, <laughs> sinner here, I think. Yeah. So the government, obviously, as we know now, the government was telling Peter, ban this guy or deplacing the kid. Well, well, okay. The, these are all interconnected because, like, the, uh, the, the more fiat, the fiat monetary experiment runs, the more important it becomes to be, to be, uh, to be politically connected and virtue signal that. To appease the, the money printers. Yes, uh, in, instead of uh, actually providing value to your fellow man. So, so uh, like, that's, that's clown world. That's what it is. That's why we see these weird things and people focusing on weird issues. It's because it's more, uh, it's more lucrative for them to be political than to actually provide value. Exactly. So, ba so back to Twitter and Elon Musk. So, obviously, we now know that Disney pressure Twitter to censor some content. That's clear. And one of the reasons why we're never going to have ads on Orange Flat, by the way, 
it's also one of the reasons, right? Because the moment you add ads, what is ads really? It's somebody's paying you to perform a certain action. We go back to the economic incentive. The more I get older, Knut, the more I realize that all of the money is paying almost everything. Absolutely. All of the money is, is it's, it's, whenever you look at the world and you don't understand, just follow, see where the money are and you're probably going to end up finding the truth. Anyway, so, so now Elon Musk said, yeah. So the way to escape the advertiser, uh, uh, power over a platform is to charge people to use the service. Cause obviously running a Twitter costs, I don't know, probably $50 million a year or more. I don't know, but, uh, obviously. So there is a cost that costs who paid. So here's something that you and I talk about this. Whoever paid the cost has the power. I repeat, whoever paid the cost has the power. And if you don't pay the cost, you definitely have no power. The person that pays the cost has power over you, in this case, the advertiser or the platform operator that has to pay the bills for the relay or the client on Nostr. It, it makes no sense to me that I need censorship resistance because I have some or specific communication that I cannot put on Twitter. And I go on Nostr and I want this communication to be propagated, but I'm not paying for it. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. How is that a scalable model? How, how can there be a scalable model? It's just, it doesn't make any sense. Am I re correct reading between the lines here that you're telling us to drop Orange Pill app as a sponsor of the show and start charging people to listen to this thing instead? You should, if you could. If you could, if you could do that, it would be obviously, you know, we're friends. So. But definitely, <laughs> yeah, of course, if you, I, I give you a perfect example. Um, I have my own morality, of course, and let's say you start shielding Ethereum, you can bet your ass that I'm going to drop the advertising the moment yes, that course. you're shielding Ethereum. It's, it's my duty, it's my duty to not fund things that I don't like. It's not just my duty, it's strategic. Of course. But, th th but this is the thing. Uh, the, the, if I may interrupt again, like this is this is why I think the 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 morals are slightly different when it comes to this type of pod uh, and advertising, and in with Bitcoin companies in general, because we we are incentivized to help one another, and we all benefit if each from each other's success, and still we have to be picky in the Bitcoin space as well with our sponsors because we. We really do want to 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 use only sponsors whose products we actually use, and and uh, that's uh, that. Uh, and you know, there are so many pods where you can tell that that's an absolute lie when when they say this. The, you know, this ball shaving kit is the only ball shaving kit I use. Like, uh, I mean, <laughs> how do you know? They trust them very fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so. Um, so, so that's, I, I think this is a different thing. And, and it's also like, we, we want to help. If, if we can help, we want to help. It's amazing because we live in this system called Bitcoin that the more people, so I think if, if I just look at the, from a profit motive, right? I just say, Orange Club is successful if more people are in Bitcoin, clearly, except that guy. 
more people get into Bitcoin because more people listen to Knut by definition. You orange peeling people every single day. Your content is listened every single day, and whether it's one or a thousand or a million, every single day somebody listens to you and the lights goes on. And now what eventually if, what, that pers- person mind up in orange peeling because sorry? What a thought. It's just accelerating. <laughs> um, which one? The, uh, of orange peeling someone every day. Like, if that is true, yeah. like... It's, it has to be true. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's, it has to be true. Your, your tweets orange peeling people every day. Your content orange peeling people every day. It's, it is, you know, it's... it's um, and so I benefit from Knut... And you probably benefit from me because one, I tell people to watch your show because you might have an episode that goes, you know, like the one with the Giacomo about the ordinals and the sats. And also because the more people get into Bitcoin and now they, they have friends into Bitcoin and then somebody listen to your show and tell one of their friends to listen. It's, it's so, it's all a flywheel that we all participate, even if we're not connected. It's yeah, it's magical. It, it is magical. It's it's incentive structure. It's the thing you talked about before. It doesn't matter that we're in different countries. We all benefit from the success of Bitcoin, and by proxy, then we all benefit from the success of other Bitcoiners, regardless of what their business is. <laughs> really, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as as long as they're not fiat in it for the yeah, fiat exactly. gain. Well, as long as it's not it's not FTX. Last piece. Last last last. Criticism of Nasser, and this is devil's advocate, of course. There's also a strategic element. So I've learned about Bitcoin mostly on Twitter. I mean, not that I've learned mostly, but I've, I've heard about it on Twitter and I've got, I follow you on Twitter before I listen to your podcast, right? Twitter is the battleground of ideas global. It's where ideas get shaped, where ideas get shared. And again, we go back to, the propagation of ideas, right? And Bitcoin adoption is, let's say, 1%. So 99% of the people have no idea what Bitcoin is or they don't like Bitcoin or they believe Bitcoin is boiling the ocean and killing the whale, whatever, whatever. So now with Nostor, you take, there's only Bitcoiners pretty much that talk about each other with these Bitcoiners. Now these people are also the battlefield. I want, so... Let's say Matt Odell, right? Which Vigo Nosser and great communicator and very smart guy. Do you think that Odell is, is best, uh, place in a, in Nosser or on Twitter? If I just look at Bitcoin adoption, I want big, I want Odell in, in the battlefield. I don't want Odell on, on a top of a mountain with 10 Bitcoiners talking about how beautiful is Bitcoin. It's, is a strategic mistake to take your best players off the field. The field, it's Twitter and YouTube and LinkedIn and, and mainstream media. It's not Nostr. Nostr is like, oh, we really want everybody's a big corner. Now we can talk about, but that we're not, you know, we're 1% adoption rate. The battle has not even begun. So by going on Nostr, you, you, you suck away some of these players, some of this talent. And you're kind of hiding in a room, and now it doesn't really help Bitcoin. Well, yeah, um, there's. 
I slightly disagree with that. I think, like, uh, though it's a loss for Twitter to not have Odell or Gigi there as much anymore, uh, it's definitely a loss. But uh, I, I still think they're that they might be, you, you know, tired of that whole thing. I mean, uh, getting a lot of followers on Twitter is not a it's not a positive only. Uh, like the more people that know about you, the more the more at risk you are of running into psychopaths, you know. So, so I can understand why people don't don't want want to limit the amount of attention they get because it's it's sort of a fame or recognition. It's sort of a beast that once once you released, you can't tame it. You don't know what will happen. You know the Streisand effect and everything. Like, uh, so I can clearly see why people see that. Oh, holy shit! I'm becoming famous. I ought to stop this immediately and try not to be. Now that's 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 great, but that's nothing to do with Nostra. You could just stop tweeting. Um, well, you can stop tweeting, but then if you still have an urge to shit post, like Nostra might be a good alternative because I guess the ratio of psychos on Nostra is still smaller. I mean, or let's put it another way: there are there are there are real Bitcoin psychopaths on Nostra and not not you know fiat psychopaths. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's true. But anyway, so th- these are my three, these are my three uh, c- criticism or c- problem that I see with Nostr, and hopefully somebody smarter than me go and figure out how to. Because uh, ideally, it would be great if you have a platform just as powerful as Twitter that is not controlled by a big tech, even if it's Elon Musk. It would be beautiful. If we had that tool, the same way is very beautiful that I can send you any amount of money I want with one click. It's amazing. And we have it with Bitcoin and obviously fiat, it's the opposite of that. It would be great, but the, the difference that me sending you money doesn't require network effects, but me being on social media required network effects. And so that's, you know, we go back to the three problems that I explained. Yeah. Hopefully we can both, uh, pick some better brain than brains than our own, uh, than our own on, uh, about this, these topics on Madeira, where we'll be talking to, uh, some, a handful of jacks, uh, about this, hopefully. <laughs> and, yeah, I know. Uh, Jack, yeah. Jack Dorsey would be great. Uh, I had a little bit, uh, I don't know if you know this, but he summoned me on Nostr a couple of months ago. Oh, really? You should come on Nostr to debate, kind of, you know. And then I went, my, my, my arguments were not as, as refined as they are now. It was like back in February, like very early days. But, uh, I would love to be wrong. Honestly, I don't criticize Nostr because I don't like Nostr. I criticize Nostr because I see the problems. And I don't see the solution to those problems, but I would love somebody to tell me, no, no, look, this is how it goes. This is what's not. I would love that. I would love, I would love nothing. I would love nothing that to be wrong about Nostra. Yeah. So if you want Jack Dorsey to come on to the Freedom Footprint show and debunk all of Matteo's arguments, uh, leave a comment below, like, subscribe, and click the bell button, brush your teeth, and read a good book every now and then. And uh, yeah. Uh, we'll make it happen. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs)
Matteo, we've been going on for almost two hours now, which is a bit longer than we usually do. Uh, but I absolutely love this conversation. It's always good to catch up. And uh, yeah, we'll see each other soon. And looking forward to everything, everything Orange Pill app and everything we have, every good thing we have coming in the future. And I have a feeling there's a lot. So thanks a lot. And uh, before we, of course, we can find you on Orange Pill app. Where else can we find you? On Twitter, I guess. Not so much on Noster. Uh, I don't have a Noster account myself. I have one for Orange Flap. Uh, yeah, on Twitter, I, the Orange Flap, it's Orange Flap. And then my personal one, uh, it's Mattel, M-A-T-T-E-O-P-E-L-L-E-G. Um, and that's my personal one. And uh, obviously, Orange Flap, you can always find me. I'm very uh, receptive there. And hopefully, I'll see you, a lot of you. I know I'll see you guys in Madeira. Great. Take care and say hello to Brian. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks a lot, Matteo, and thank you for listening.